Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But he keeps worrying about the future. Why? Because he's not seeing his life as days. But he's looking into the future and he's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And he worries about that. If my friend, my my whole goal, get him to see days. If my friend would just see his life in terms of days and ask God for money for today, for his food and his apartment, he'd be giving God thanks that today he had been provided for his food and for his apartment. See, my whole goal is to get my friend to stop focusing on this long-term future and to start focusing on the days of his life. I'm trying to get him to look at his life like verse 7. See, because being worried over the long-term future, it poisons thankfulness. I asked my friend one time if there was anything that he was thankful for, and he told me nothing. So I I thought, if I can get him to think of days, I can get him to be thankful. So this is my goal, you know, get him to think of days, get him to be thankful, get him to think in terms of verse 7. So that's my whole goal. Get him to think of verse 7, days, and then he'll be thankful. So to try to get him to do that way, I asked him a question. I asked him, you know, the same old question, how are you? He says, miserable. And then I said, okay, are you more miserable today than you were yesterday? And then he told me, he said, yes, he's more miserable today than he was yesterday. And I said, well, good. He said, why is that good? I said, because now you can be thankful that you were less miserable yesterday. (laughs) Our lives become much less miserable and much more simple when we see our lives in terms of days, as in verse 7. See, seeing our lives in terms of days, verse 7, means that we'll take to heart this emphasis, day, daily, give us this day, our daily bread, And the Lord is emphasizing those words. And what he's really saying is that you got to get yourself into the today mode. So that when you come in the morning, in your time of devotion with God, you say, Lord, I want to meet with you. And then always put in that word, today. And Lord, I want to give myself to you and put in that word, today. Lord, please help me to not sin against you today. Lord, please help me to encourage a believer today. Feed him with your word. Lord, please help me to encourage a lost person to come to you today. And then at the end of the day, it becomes very simple as we review and we ask ourselves the question, did I meet God today? Did I give myself to God today? Did I sin today? Did I confess that sin to God or make it right if need be to another today? Did I encourage a believer today? Give him God's word. Did I point a lost person today to God? And then we ask the ultimate question to God at the end of the day, which makes our life very simple. Lord, are you happy with me today? And if you're happy with me today, it's all that matters. Because if you're happy today, I'm happy today. It's all about today. It's all about days of the years of our life in verse 7. And so this is important for us to see. So now we see Abraham. He is 175 years old when he dies. And we look back over the life of Abraham. And we see that, you know, what was the high points? Well, 100 years before he died, when he was 75, he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. That was a great day on one of Abraham's days of the years of his life, 75 years, 75 years, uh, when he was 75 years old, Isaac, he was called out of Ur. On another one of Abraham's days, in the days of the years of his life, 75 years before he died, Isaac was born. And on another one of Abraham's days, 50 years before he died, he brought Isaac up to the Mount Moriah. 
to sacrifice him. And another one of Abraham's days, 37 years before he died, Sarah died. And another one of Abraham's days, 34 years before he died, Isaac was married. See, these are some of the notable days in the years of uh, Abraham, and the days of the years of the life of Abraham. See verse 7. But now all those days of Abraham's life are past. And when all those days are finished, then we come to verse 8, where it says, And Abraham gave up the ghost, died in a good old age, and was full of years, gathered to his people. See, the first word in verse 8 is very important. It's the word then. Because that word tells us that Abraham's life was lived out. Then tells us that Abraham had no more days. He had no more todays to live here on earth. And so he had reached his then. And we are all going to reach our then in life when all of our days are going to be lived out. As it says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die. That's the then. But after this, the judgment. Job spoke of this being there's a predetermined number of our days. We don't know, but God knows. And so in Job 14.5, it says, Job says, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. God says, there's this many days, you can't go beyond it. That's it. We don't know what number of days we'll have on earth, so we can't number forward, we can number backwards. But it's interesting that the older we get, the more we don't want to think about how old we are. (laughs) Because we all know the statistics, we all know the average lifespan for men and women. You know, just before my mother died, we got a copy of her birth certificate and showed it to her, and she was thrilled to find out that she was one year younger than she actually was. (laughs) She thought she was, I should say. Because we don't like to think about how close we're getting to that statistic, to the average lifespan. But you know, Moses, in his psalm, Psalm 90, he taught us to focus on that average lifespan and ask God to help us to think about how many days we have left till we reach that average lifespan. And he said that in Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12, the Psalm of Moses, when he said, the days of our years are threescore and 10, that's 70. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, that's 80. Yet is their strength with labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off. We fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. See, Moses, in this psalm, he told us the average lifespan at his time was 70, and for the strong, it's 80, which is about the same as it is today, as it was 3,300 years ago. So much for modern medical advances to increase the lifespan. If we focus on how many days we have left on average, then we'll see the value of each day, and we'll focus on each day. Then we read in the end of his days that Abraham then, and then he gave up the ghost. Now, that's an interesting statement that Abraham gave up the ghost. I mean, we talk about this person expired. And when a person expired literally means to breathe out. Like inspire means to breathe in, expire means to breathe out. And that's what the Hebrew word gava means here as well. And if you were standing next to Abraham's bed there, that's exactly what you'd see. You'd see Abraham, he's breathing, he's having trouble breathing, he's having that trouble, an apnea breath, and then all of a sudden he breathes out his last breath, and that's what happens when anyone dies. They breathe out their last breath. And that's the first time, by the way, this phrase is used in the Bible, gave up the ghost. You see, the phrase gave up the ghost means more than he just physically stopped breathing. Because when it says that Abraham gave up the ghost, there are two questions that are raised. And the first question is, who did he give up the ghost to? And how did he give up this ghost? So who did Abraham give up the ghost to? He gave it back to God. 
because Abraham, like us, he had his breath, his life from God. And so King Solomon explains death in this way. When King Solomon is describing what death is, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 6, and 7, or ever, he says, the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. See, Solomon is describing death and the destruction to the body. He says, it's like a silver cord that just comes loose. He says, it's like a golden bowl that just that, that, that becomes broken. He says, it's like a pitcher, like we just saw about Rebecca with her pitcher of water by the well. It fell, it broke. He said, it's a wheel, like a grinding wheel. It's broken. He says, that that's what death is. And he said, that's what happens to the body. Then the dust goes back to dust. But he said, the spirit, that goes back to God. God who gave it. So Abraham gave up his life to God who gave it to him. And Abraham knew that his life and his breath came from God. So when it was time for him to die, Abraham could have said, it's time for me to die. Here, Father, is the breath and life that you gave me. Now, Abraham could say, Father, thank you for giving this to me for these 175 years. It's been a great experience to have had from you this breath and life on earth. Father, while I had from you this breath and life on earth, I experienced a second life, a second birth, an eternal life when you called me out of Ur of the Chaldees. Father, while I had from you this breath and life on earth, I experienced you through life as my shepherd and my constant friend. Now, Father, it's time for me to give you back the life and the breath on earth, and now it's time for me to come to you, my friend, to be with you forever. Father, I willingly give up my breath and life on earth to you. So what we see in that picture is an Abraham who did not hold on to his breath and life. He couldn't anyways. We don't see him with a clenched fist as if to say, you're gonna have to force it away from me. I won't give it up. Just the opposite. We see an Abraham who willingly and happily gave up his breath and life into the hands of the father of life. That's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross in Luke 23, 46, when he said, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I command, I give my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. How could Abraham willingly and happily give up his breath and life on earth and face what many see as a a terrifying unknown future after death? Because it was what Abraham has spent his life learning In his life, Abraham had learned what it means to have God as your friend. In his life, Abraham had learned to trust God, his friend, for the unknown. In his life, Abraham had learned to calm his anxieties, calm his fears, calm his restlessness by knowing that God, his friend, was with him and was going to take care of him. Therefore, Abraham willingly and happily gives up the ghost to God, which is the answer to the second question, how did Abraham give up this ghost to God willingly and happily? So when we read in verse 8 that Abraham gave up the ghost, we understand that when Abraham did that, he not only gave up his ghost, but he also gave up the burdens in this life. See, there are two burdens, two categories of burdens that made Abraham happy to give up the ghost, and they are, and the same for us, the burdens of growing old. And at 175 years, Abraham was glad to give up the burdens of old age. You know, as Pastor Jim used to say when he got old, getting old is not for sissies. (laughs) 
And then there are the burdens of the trials and the afflictions. And at 175 years old and six young children running around his house, he was glad to give all that up too. And Abraham, Abraham, see, when Abraham lived, he didn't live till the world was tired of him. Abraham lived till he was tired of the world. Abraham had had enough, and there was nothing in this world that he desired from it anymore. And for this reason, Abraham agreed with Paul, who said, we are confident, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, willing to be, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. See, the absent present in that verse of 2 Corinthians 5.8 makes me think when I was at Emerson Junior High School in Los Angeles. And so recently, last week, a couple weeks ago, a group of us from our company were in Los Angeles, and it's right by the Mormon Temple. We were driving there, and I said, oh, there's the junior high I went to. And they said, oh, you want to go see him? I said, well, okay. And so we drove over there, and they asked me, now tell me, what do you remember about the school? And I said, well, the only thing I remember is the principal's office. (laughs) Anyway, I also remember how the teacher would take roll call at the start of every class. And when your name was called, if there was no answer, then the teacher would write down absent on the roll call. But when I heard my name, when I heard Tommy, then I had to say here, and the teacher would write down present on the roll call list. I just picture an angel. Picture an angel like the teacher. He goes to the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham's body was with the roll call list in his hand, and he calls out Abraham's name. Abraham, there's no answer. So what does the angel do? He writes down absent. He's absent from the cave of Machpelah. Now the same angel, he goes to heaven where the Lord is, and he calls out Abraham's name, Abraham, and Abraham calls out here, and then the angel writes down present on the roll call. See, when we look at the angel's roll call list, we would say absent from the body, present with the Lord. And now in verse 8, we read the two words to describe what happened to Abraham, and died. You know, you can't read those words or experience that without there being a shock. Death is always a shock. It's a shock for even a friend of God, of Abraham, that, he's, that he dies. He's got to die? Abraham's got to die? He's a friend of God. Why does he have to die? He has to die. David describes death in Psalm 89, verses 47 and 48, when he says, remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. See, when David looked at death, he says, everybody's going to have to face that. What man is he that liveth that shall not see death? And he looked at the grave, and David looks at the grave, and he sees, I see this big giant hand coming out of the grave, reaching for you, got you. No one can fight against that hand. As he said, shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? But the Lord Jesus Christ, he did something for that because he won the victory over death when it says in Psalm 49, 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That's the hand for he shall receive me. And then Psalm 30, verse three, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. See, how God redeemed David's soul and our souls and saved us from the power of the grave and this hand and hell came at a great cost when God stepped into the fighting ring for us and he fought death. And he talks about that in Hosea 13, 14, when he said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. And that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.10, but now manifest, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. And that word abolished in the Greek means to pass away. In other words, he put death to death. And so in Isaiah 25, 8 through 9, he says, he will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord, God, will wipe away tears from their eyes. 
And then it says, and it shall be said, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In that passage in Isaiah 25, 8 through 9, God uses the word swallow up. In the Hebrew, bala, it's the same word that's used to describe what happened to Korah and his whole house in Numbers 16.32 when it says the earth opened and swallowed them up. And the last part of that verse says we will rejoice in his salvation. That's the word Yeshua. So in other words, it says we will rejoice in his Jesus. In that passage in Isaiah, Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians 15.54-57. And he says, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall pull on immortality, then shall be brought to pass... The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when he uses that word, as swallowed up in victory, that's a Greek word that means to drown or to absorb away, like a cloth would absorb away liquid. It's gone or drown. And so by his own death, The Lord Jesus Christ makes our death to just drown away, be absorbed away. So when Abraham faced death, and when you and I face death, death came to Abraham, will come to us, and will say to us, I have a sting for you. I have a victory over you. And in that time, threatened by death, Abraham, in that time, threatened by death, us, looks to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, what do I do now? And then the Lord says to Abraham at his death, and the Lord will say to us, Here, here's my death on the cross. Here, here's my resurrection from the grave for you. Take it now. This is your victory over the death that's threatening you. And then Abraham does that. And we'll go into that battle also. We'll see that. And he looks squarely in the face of death. And he repeats the word of Paul. Oh, grave, where's thy victory? Oh, death, where's thy sting? And that's how Abraham faced death in victory. And that's how we'll face death in victory. Abraham had to die. He was a great friend of God. He had to do it. Great friends of God have to die. Great friends of God are not exempt from death. Moses was a great friend of God's, but Moses had to die. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. But God takes a great interest in the death of those he has cleansed by his blood. As it says in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. He loves the sight. He loves the sight. Why does he love sight? Does he love to see a person writhing in pain, terrified with the future, trying to use it, clawing with their fingernails till there's like blood, trying anything but death? That's not what happens. That's not what happens. Instead, God gives peace. God gives assurance. God gives victory. And he looks down on that and he sees a totally different picture of a person with the assurance of the cross, with the assurance of the resurrection, with the assurance that Christ took the sting for us. And he sees peace that comes over. And he looks at that side and he says, that's precious to me. That's precious. That's how Abraham died. Just as God promised he would die peacefully in in Genesis 15, 15, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Abraham died in peace. Reminds me of the person who said, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather in peace in my sleep and not like all those other people screaming in the car with him. (laughs) So verse eight, give me the three verbs in verse eight. Gave up, died, gathered. See, those three verbs are important for us because they describe three events that took place. Two of those events were seen, the third was not seen. 
See, two of those events were seen. What were they worth? First one gave. Abraham gave up the ghost. Everybody with Abraham saw Abraham breathe out his last breath, and he says, it's gone. He stopped breathing. He gave up his last breath. He gave up the ghost. They saw that. That was an observable event. Number two, died. Abraham died. Everybody who was with Abraham, they saw him die. After he breathed out his last breath, they saw his eyes roll back. They felt his pulse stop. They felt his body become cold, eventually stiff. They all know Abraham died. He died. That was an observable event. They saw that. Abraham, number three, was gathered to his people. This third event of being gathered to his people was just as real as the first two events, but it was not seen. It was not seen because Abraham left his body and went to his people. See, the word people refers to more than one person. And in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham's body was buried, there was just one body there, Sarah's body. So if that phrase, gathered to his people, was referring to where his body was buried, then it wouldn't use the term people, because it was just Sarah that was buried in the cave. But the fact that the word people is used to refer to Abraham being gathered to his people shows us it's not referring to where his body was. See, the way verse 8 is is written, Abraham gave up the ghost, he died in a good old age, he was gathered to his people, it's so matter-of-fact. You ever notice that? It's like so matter of fact. You know, it doesn't start off and say, now wait a minute, folks. Well, the Bible doesn't say folks, but anyway, the Bible doesn't say, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say, there is life after death. There's no statement like that. It's sort of matter of fact. He gives up the ghost, he dies, he's gathered to his people. He expires his last breath, gathered to his people. The fact of being gathered to his people is stated in such a matter of fact manner. There's no special emphasis on it. It shows the Bible does not put emphasis or assert life after death, as if we need a special emphasis or assertion that there's life after death. The Bible does not specifically emphasize or assert that there is life after death. The Bible assumes that there is life after death. That's why it's written in such a matter-of-fact way. The careful reader of the Bible will pick up on verse 8 and all throughout the Bible this assumption that there is life after death, because the Bible doesn't go out of its way to make these special statements, there is life after death. And if you look carefully at verse 8 and you see that Abraham was gathered to his people, then you can see how the Bible teaches life after death by assumption. And seeing the Bible's assumption that there's life after death is what the Lord Jesus guided the Sadducees to see by seeing just the tense of the verb, the present tense of the verb. When God said to Abraham, more than 400 years after Abraham died, I am the God of Abraham, in Matthew 22, 31-33, but it's touching the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You gotta look. It's an assumption, but you gotta see it. So to refer to life after death, the Bible says he was gathered to his people. It's the same thing that God meant in Genesis 15, 15, when he told Abraham, you're going to come to your father's. The same thing as meaning, in the Bible says, lie with the fathers. And as we said, it's not referring to where their bodies were buried. Moses was buried in some desolate hillside where there was nobody. Solomon was buried. He was the first one buried in Solomon's tomb. Should be the person in Solomon's tomb. And it was said that he was with his fathers in 1 Kings 11.43. David was buried in David's tomb. He was with his fathers. Abraham was gathered to his fathers life after death. We look forward, as Abraham did, to life after death. And as a matter of fact, life after death for us is to be what the Bible calls for us. This is our aim. This is our goal. It's to be in Abraham's bosom. 
Because in Luke 16, 22, it says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, this hope that we have because the Lord Jesus Christ went into a hopeless place of desolation, of being forsaken by God. And because he emerged out, because it was because you did not suffer him to see corruption, you raised him from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that therefore we have hope in our death. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.